Just so you know, at the top of this episode, this conversation does include discussion of suicide, mental illness and drug and alcohol addiction. And if you are having any problems at all, make sure you give the people at Lifeline a call on 13 11 14. Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, a podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. On today's episode, I sit down with former AFL player Jake Edwards. Set up for a long kick. How did he get down there on his own? Jake Edwards is at 50. Bring up my piece. Steady as she goes. Doesn't have to kicking make a huge difference. This is really embarrassing. But whatever. I say at my wedding with my husband. And and I'm not a singer. That was my present to him. I'm like, here you go, baby. I'll sing for you. And I got lessons what and everything. What song was it? <laughs> it was Guy Sebastian, Angels Brought Me Here. <laughs> yes. What made you pick that song? Good question, Dave. Good question. No, it's so funny. Because... Um, it was, when I was introducing it, I'm like, in 2004, Guy Sebastian won with Angels Brought Me Here and everyone thought Guy Sebastian was going to win. And I was, I was like, if you. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. Oh, he was like, okay. He looked shocked. <laughs> but everyone was lovely because they all started clapping and Did you get for the full song? <laughs> yeah, for the full song. Ah, uh, anyway. At what point did you realise this is going great? <laughs> well, before it, I was like, because I got really sick because it was off the back of um, the World Championships and I got really sick. I always do. And I don't know why I thought it was a good idea. So I had a really sore throat and I'm like, <laughs> come on, everybody's sick. Yeah. Help, help. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway. That's great. That's my singing story. That's great. I love that. I haven't done it again. <laughs> Needless to say. <laughs> Never sang ever since. Yes. <laughs> Imagine it was Instagram. And oh, that. my God. God. Yes, thank goodness. <laughs> that wasn't around. Yeah. That wasn't a thing, thankfully. Yeah, same. That old, thank God. Yeah, exactly. So when did you when did you finish up your AFL? Uh, 2009. It was 2009. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, finish up. Yeah. So I guess where to start? Hmm. Let's start at the beginning. What how did you get into AFL? Oh, wow. How long have we got? <laughs> okay, so, well, so we have so much yeah, Okay, time. great. Uh, um, so I grew up around footy. I always say that footy's in my blood. Mm. Um, if I was to give blood tomorrow, there would be little footies floating around. It's just been a big part of my life. Yep. And I guess, you know, my great-grandfather played at the Bulldogs. He played 100 and so games. My grandfather played, uh, including a premiership mm. for the Bulldogs. Wow. And my dad played. Played 120 games combined, and my cousin played 250 games uh, at Collingwood. Oh wow! So, so it's, it's I, genuinely, in genuinely your blood. in my blood. Yeah. Uh, so grew up around it, um, and yeah, I can remember early as I think under nines in Victoria is the youngest, the earliest you can start. But I was playing when I was like six against yeah against the under nines. Oh so wow! Quite quite young. So yeah. did you? It's obviously part of your family, but did you feel? pressure to do that or did you just love it yeah i think it's a bit of both i think over the years as i've got older i've kind of changed my view on it quite Mm. a bit i think for a long time there i was kind of telling myself i loved it so much and that's why i wanted to play but when i look back now i can see i I felt a lot of pressure Mm. yeah 
I was the uh, and I am the youngest of three sons. Okay. And my two older brothers didn't play AFL football. Ah. So I kind of felt some responsibility in a sense as the last hope for my dad. <laughs> <The> last chance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> to play league football. Right. It just so happened to be that I was all right at it. I guess mm. that's – and when you're young as a teenager, I got a lot of validation from footy. Oh, yeah. You know, so I I was one of the kids at school playing football. Um, you know, I was noticed uh, for my, my talent in football. Mm. So it gave me a lot of kind of purpose. Yeah. And being so young, that was kind of what I, what I really appreciated and loved a lot. Yeah. And, and it creates that sense of identity, mm. like you're the sporty kid, oh, that's Jake, he plays AFL. Yeah, and that stuff. And I got a scholarship for year 12 and it just, right. look, it all kind of come together at that time. And yeah, look, I loved it. Don't get me wrong. I really enjoyed it. Mm. Um, but I certainly felt there was pressure on myself more than anything. Mm. So I never had my father and my mum were so supportive of anything. I could have literally done anything. Yeah. And they would have been so supportive of it. But there were times and moments where I did have conversations with my dad and my mm. my grandfather, I remember, would be so probably boisterous around how, like, I'm the best out of everyone and, you know, just the language around, I could, I'd pick up and go, okay, shit, I better better do this, yeah. otherwise I'm going to be probably seen to be a failure, which yeah. I never have been, I don't think. But, yeah, I, I, I had and felt pressure, more so for myself, yeah, yeah, because you you have grown up in that environment, and is your cousin older than you or younger? Yeah, okay, yeah, so older. you're, you're yeah. like following footsteps. Everyone, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, so that creates a tough environment. It, it is. It can be. Yeah. Mm. So I mean, I had a conversation with my dad one day, which basically went like this. And I give you an example. So my old man's a really old school character. Um, he's got the biggest forearms and hands you've ever seen in your <laughs> life. It's just something in the water. Yeah. Back in the in those days and. You know, he, he's a plumber as well, so that adds to the stereotype. Yeah. And growing up, me and my brothers, it was pretty tough. Like, we never sat around the dinner table and spoke about our days and how mm. we're feeling and things like that. It was almost always about just getting out there on the farm, working hard, getting your five bucks a week. Footy. Footy, you know, sport. School was never really a massive priority as much mm. as it was playing good on the weekends. So, and Dad walked into my bedroom one day, and I had to pick between football and cricket. Ah. Because I got picked for Victoria at the same time for both sports. Oh wow! And I, I was like, I always wanted to play football, but I did enjoy my my cricket at that time. And Dad walked in his overalls and his muddy bloodstones, and he's like, "All right, mate, you better you got to pick which sport. You can't keep doing both. And you know, whatever you pick, your mother and I will support you a hundred percent." And I was like, "Oh yeah, Dad, I'll ever think about it and get back to you." And he turned around and he went to walk out my bedroom. He stopped at the door and he turned around and he points at me and he goes, but you know the family history in footy, don't you? Oh. <laughs> and then turned around and walked back out. So I think it was a bit of tongue in cheek from his yeah, behalf. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. It was probably like, yeah, yeah but you know. Like, I know, you know, like, yeah. You know. Yeah, you got to push that way if you <laughs> yeah, can. Yeah. So I, I kind of took that as a bit of a, oh, shit, you know. Mm. And I was so young, like, I took it literally, I have to play footy. How old were you at the time? I was 16. Yeah, okay. yeah so I just turned 16. And my middle brother was arguably probably the best footballer out of our family. Okay. He just had a quite a serious injury when he was 17, which cost him probably get drafted. Mm. But back then, AFL clubs used to send letters out to players. And in his room, he'd have letters like from Richmond. And so my dad played at Richmond and Collingwood and the Bulldogs. And so he had letters from them pinned up on the wall. Wow. Um, and I, every day after school, I'd be in my brother's room just reading mm. these letters and that, just saying, that's what I want. You know, I want these letters in my room when I'm older and it happened, you That's know. That's amazing. So, yeah. 
How did it feel when it happened? Yeah, it was a, it was a big thing. Like I always say, there's probably two moments that I've seen my father as happiest in I've ever seen him. And one of those days was the day I was drafted. And the other day was when my first nephew was born. Uh, just seeing this old guy, tough man, just melt overnight. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was a big thing for the family. And back when I was drafted, there was none of these box footies and anything like that. So it was mm. just like on the radio yeah, or the wireless. So we, we sat around the beach house at, um, back in Victoria and I was a 17-year-old, so I was a bottom age. So I still had another year to get drafted the year after. Okay. Um, but I don't I, understand AFL at all. I'll try to explain it. And probably okay. most of your listeners probably might not know either. So um, it doesn't happen now. So okay. it's irrelevant to today's draft. But back when I was being um, recruited, you, you could get drafted as a 17-year-old. Okay. Um, you had two years, two opportunities to get drafted. Got you. Now you've only got the one year because ah. uh, you only get drafted as a top age player. Right. Uh, so okay. it has changed a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, so older than 17. So, so 18. 18. Yeah, 18. Yeah. 18. Okay. Well, you have to turn 18 by a certain date. Yeah. So I, I kind of went into that draft. I'd spoken to a couple of football clubs, um, Port Adelaide, Fremantle, Sydney, the Melbourne. Melbourne were really, really keen. Mm. And then I kind of went in the draft being told, you know, don't expect anything. If you've got another, another year next year, yeah. don't get your hopes up. And that's kind of what I really bought in. But as a kid, you're like, oh, no. What if? I fucking want to get drafted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to be in yeah. there. So uh, anyway, so Melbourne told me they were going to pick me up with a pick 13 in that draft that year. Mm. So when pick 13 got called out, uh, in my, it wasn't my name, mm. I just thought, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'll got next year. Yeah. So I actually jumped in the car with my two brothers and started dropping. We went to play golf. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, so, well, it's not me. Yeah, so. well, that's what – because I, I didn't I, – I'd never spoken to Carlton. Mm. That's who drafted me, not once. Um, so I got halfway down the road, about 100 metres, my phone was ringing, it was mum, and I answered, and I thought, oh, I've left something back at the house. And uh, she's screaming and yelling, oh, you've been drafted, you've been drafted. And, wow. um, and in the whole commotion, my brother's like punched me in the head and put me <laughs> in a headlock and stuff like that. I, I dropped my classic phone. Bro- oh, just classic. bro time, you know. <laughs> Typical how we grew up, but he. Um, so I dropped my phone. I got to ask her who drafted me. I had no idea who drafted me at that time. So <laughs> like I, I've been drafted. Yeah, I have no <laughs> idea. I didn't really give a shit to be yeah, honest with you too. Totally. Yeah. So I called her back and said, "Who's drafted me?" She's like Carlton. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I, got, I grew up back in for Collingwood. And ah, if you know AFL, yes, yes, it's yes, kind yes. of very. Um, I do know that. All right, great. <laughs> I know that there much. you go. So <laughs> it stretches that far up north, which is um, which is good. So yeah, I remember we turned the car around, went back. I was. Yeah, so we, I hopped out of the car and that's when my dad come walking down kind of our driveway and, yeah, I just remember seeing him so happy and so proud. Yeah, it was one of the best moments I think that I'll take with me for forever. It, it was a bittersweet moment but because I had my best mate with me who also should have got drafted uh, and he didn't He didn't yeah, get drafted. that's tough. Um, so, yeah, that, that, was, um, that was pretty tough as well because that was his last year in trying to get drafted at the time. Oh, right. Yeah. So there's like a cutoff for being drafted. Well, there's only for that national draft, which okay. is now it's only that kind of 18-year-old level. Gotcha. Anyone can get drafted at any time. Yeah. Hey, Jason, your producer, you can put your <laughs> you can put your name up and get drafted if you're Come good on, enough. Come on, Jason. You're in. Sure. <laughs> You've got this. Well, you never know. Well, we need someone carrying water out to the boys and they hear up your Yes. Yeah. That's it. So good. The motivator. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyone get drafted, but obviously you've got to have the talent yeah. to get to get picked up. So it does happen more so these days. Mm. More mature, and I think 
you know, I'm so interested to hear more about your industry because I know we spoke about Claire and I this morning, my partner's here with me, about, yeah, like, because um, Claire asked whether you had some challenges in your career. Mm. I said, yeah, Libby's had some challenges. And I said, I think a lot of swimmers have had challenges with the mental health and oh, so forth. Oh, 100%. And that. So, yeah, I think um, it's it's one of those things when you get drafted at a young age, it's all I knew mm. and I didn't know anything else outside of that. Yeah. And literally – I think the draft age is too young. Yes. Um, I think that we should follow the American system, which is going through college, ah, getting, yeah. you know, getting at least here at university, getting a degree, getting something behind you and getting drafted at 21. But they're never going to change that. It's you just speaking my yeah. language. I totally yeah. agree. It's it's such an interesting thing because with swimmers, we are so young mm. most of the time. Like 13, you guys are oh, younger. Well, I, I, I was a late bloomer mm-hmm. i made the team at 18 yeah, right. um but like lisa jones you know she swam at the 2000 olympics won a silver medal uh in the 100 breaststroke at 15 wow you know like yeah. it's just you it, it, i know it's one of those things it's like you're too young but also how do you stop that system yeah you, you know? can't that's just where it's a at. money maker yeah it really is in the afl it really really is and yeah now with spox you know, spox sports Fox Sports. <laughs> Fox Sports, it's fine. <laughs> it's a new channel. <laughs> uh, Fox Sports, um, they they do the whole thing live now. It's such mm. a big thing. So, yeah. Because that's kind of like an American thing too, isn't it? it is, They're yeah. kind of bringing that entertainment to yep. the draft and the excitement and the anticipation, which yep. I get. Like that's all part of the – Yeah, the experience, the yeah. journey. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And to, to credit to the AFL and the PA that they have so much better – systems in place mm. compared to when I was playing, you know. Um, and I have conversations with my dad, you know, what it was like back when he was playing. Mm. And a guy named Tommy Hafey, which was his coach, which is known in the AFL circle as one of the legends of sport in our industry. And he brought in psychology oh, kind right. of, yeah, around that kind of late 70s. Sorry, yeah, so mid to late 70s around Richmond Collingwood. It's incredible. It, it really is, yeah. And he, he was a real, um, I guess, a pioneer in that kind of space. But mm. – Still, like back then, I was very blokey bloke. You don't talk about how we're feeling. It's a mm. private thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, so. Because that's what I find in. interesting. Like for me, f- coming from swimming, I feel like AFL is one of the leaders in terms of uh, maybe not so much. I don't probably know so much about the mental health side of things, but certainly around creating whole people and whole mm. athletes and making sure that the athletes are either working from my understanding or they're um, studying, they're doing something else to prepare for life after sport. Yep. Yeah. Um, Was that the case? Yeah. They they, they were really doing a lot of, I guess, progressive work in that space, kind of the back end of my career. Mm. But I think blokes like myself, Nathan Thompson, um, Tom Boyd, uh, Wayne Schwoss that have become really vocal post our AFL careers have really highlighted we need to be doing more. Absolutely. And money, more money needs to be spent into this space. And every year for the last probably eight years, AFL plays do a survey every year. So every year for about a decade now, they've been saying that my mental health is the hardest thing that I'm dealing with mm. every year. So it got to a point where they had to do more. And they have been more progressive, there's no doubt. They do encourage AFL players to do study or get involved because our Collective bargaining agreement says that we have to have one day off a week. Okay. Um, so they encourage players to go and do stuff like that. But you know what it's like being yeah. young um, <laughs> yes. and ignorant and naive. <clears throat> you don't really listen to people around you like yeah. you should. You're six um, foot tall and bulletproof and you're like, whatever. you got good money in the bank. Yeah. So what do I need to worry about? That's a future about? me problem. Yeah, I worry about that down the track. And 
But even, I'll be different when yeah, I retire. Correct. But I, yeah, which never happens. But no. I um yeah, I remember when I because I, when I first got into footy, I wanted to be a myotherapist, so I started doing some study, but. It just wasn't working in line with my training. So the mm. expectation with my study and training, it actually was, wasn't was actually achievable. Yes. It legitimately was. I was traveling around a lot yeah. um, and I was expected to be somewhere when I just couldn't get there. So that was a little bit hard. Where now it's a bit more flexible. Yeah. And, uh, they have a model that they call the 360 model with the AFLPA and this could have changed, I'm not sure, but it's kind of pillars, I guess, that make up a holistic footballer mm. and it's everything from – you know, family, relationships, career, your sporting life, mental health, and mm. they really focus on. But the problem is, is that the PA only suggests these to the AFL clubs. Okay. And the clubs themselves can look at it and go, no, nah, we we're not doing that. So it's only kind of suggested framework. It's not implemented as a yeah. as a must. Yeah, got you. Um, so that's, I think, uh, a bit of the challenge at the moment because AFL clubs, although a lot better, mm. I had a lot of experience in the Geelong Football Club in the last probably five years because my cousin now coaches down there and oh, I played right. down there for a couple of years and they're so progressive. Mm. Like they've literally got like a wellness hub there with psychologists and awesome. everything there. That's great. Yeah. So with your, with your footy, how did your career progress? Was it what you wanted it to be? Was it? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Has any athlete ever answered yes with that? <laughs> it might be, oh yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I, I think I've come to realise that quite a lot mm. is that I don't think I could have, if I had played a hundred games, won a premiership, I probably would have said, eh, probably not. There's still something else. Still something been. missing. Yeah. Um, but my goal was to play a hundred games. That was my thing because all my family members had done that yes. before me. And I was like, I need to get to that point, you know, because also, what it means is, and I've carried this through my life, and Claire would attest to this for parts of who I am, is that when you play 100 games, there's a thing called father-son rule. Oh. So if you play 100 games and your son can play for the, your club and the, the club gets a benefit, or the club gets a first right at selecting gotcha. you. So my dad didn't play 100 games for one club. He played 70 for Richmond and like 50-something with Collingwood. But uh, for me, it was like, if I get to 100 games, that means my son can actually have a pathway to play yeah. AFL. And yeah, it just didn't work out that way. Unfortunately, like the first two years, being so young, 17, 18, I had a couple of bad injuries, um, which set me back a little bit. It's funny, the decisions you make at the time and the people you have around you guiding those decisions, because at the end of my second year at Carlton, I had Melbourne Football Club come back again and offer me a three-year contract oh. on really good money. And silly me at the time was like, nah, I'm going to be loyal. I'm going to be a one club man. You know, 100 games. 100 games. I'm, 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 you know, I'm set on it. Carlton put a contract in front of me, which is pretty good. Um, and I signed it uh, with some kind of verbal agreement that I'm going to get some opportunity to play senior football. And I look back now and I've gone, oh my God, I should have signed that contract at Melbourne. Yeah. Um, yeah and I could have probably played a lot more football and had more opportunity and, and so forth. But I started playing senior football 2008. Mm. So my started my third year, had a really good preseason. I was really fit. Played round one. Um, you heard of Chris Judd? You yes. Heard of Chris Judd? Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, so it was Juddy's first game for the club. So that was a really big thing yeah, for the football right. club at the time. Um, so me and him debuted for the club in round one, two thousand and eight against Richmond. It's like eighty thousand people. At the MCG. Wow. It was the best In- moment of my football career. Intimidating though. Uh, can't remember shit. <laughs> really. <laughs> Don't You're remember like, much at all. It was the best, yeah. but I cannot remember it. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I, I, I remember that the sound that the crowd would make after a goal was kicked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, on our part, wasn't that often. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we ended up losing, I think, by eight points or something in the end. But the proudest thing for me was having my family in the stand and my, 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 my nan being in the stand mm-hmm. because my grandfather had passed before um, I'd got to play or he got to see me play. So, yeah, there's a lot of good things like that that I take with me that far outweighs now being a more an, an older adult that I look at going, okay, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. But at the time it's hard, right? Like at the time you're yeah. like it's 100 or bust or, yeah. ba- or basically 100 or your shit. Yeah. Like, like that's how I used to feel about my performances is it's like – if I don't win five gold medals, then I've done a really shit job. Yeah. It's like, it's like an five. Like, give me one. <laughs> Isn't that right? And everyone said, like, uh, even now, it's so stupid. But I, um, and people say, oh, how many games you play? I'm like, oh, I played five. Mm. So I say it really kind of quiet. <laughs> yeah, five. five. But everyone's like, oh, what are you, what are you talking about? I'd, I'd love to play one. I said, exactly. yeah, I understand that. Yeah. I get it. But I'm 95 short of what I wanted. But again, you know, that experience of that year. So I was in and out of the team. Our coaches had changed. Dennis Pagan had left. Brett Ratton had come in. Rats and I got along really well at the start. And then, I don't know what it was, but we just started clashing. And mm. there was a time when I played a game against Fremantle. I played probably my best game. And I remember going into – because I was really annoying as a player for a coach. So I'd be on the, knocking on their door – Every week saying, what do I need to do? How do I get better? Blah, blah, that's blah. A great, yeah, that's a great athlete. Yeah, and that's what I was told as a young – was my dad. He's like, you know, make sure you're annoying. Make sure you're in their face. Yeah. And So I used to do it all the time. So after I'd play a game on the weekend, I'd go into the coach's office and say, you know, how'd I go? What do you think? What do I need to do? So I went into the Rats' office on the Monday. I played a really good game. We won. I kicked uh, one goal, three or something like that. So I thought I played really good. And – Within 30 seconds of being in there, I was really pumped up for the week because that week we were playing Geelong who were at the top of the table mm. and I really wanted to test myself against the best backman because I was a forward. Got you. And I was like, this is a great test for me. And um, he just turned around and said, oh, we're going to drop you this week. We're going to bring in Matty Cruiser, who was a number one draft pick <sighs> yeah, for that year. And I just told him to get effed. Yeah. And literally told him to get fucked. Yeah, <laughs> go get fucked. And I, I, I mean, that probably didn't go that no, way. No, it didn't. <laughs> and in hindsight now, I'm like, oh. 20-year-old Jake, what are you doing? <laughs> but I was really pissed off. I was really angry. Understandably. Yeah, I was really annoyed because, um, yeah, I, I, I played a really good game and I just I was so excited for that next week. <gasps> and from then on, I just, to be honest, I probably became a victim. Um, mm. I became a bit of a sook. Got you. Um, and then kind of thought, you know what, this is bullshit. I should be playing. It's not that I stopped working hard, but I think that I probably took it for granted a little bit and um, – yeah, my career kind of suffered probably off the back of that, yeah. yeah, to be honest. And I had a couple of little injuries here and there and it just didn't really work out. And by the time I pulled my finger out mm. and started playing good footy because I realised, shit, this is my dream. I'm going to mm. lose this. It was probably too late. Yeah, so I had a bit of a black line through my name, as they call it. But then it's funny because um, at the end of every year, the club sit you down and do like an outtake of your season. Mm. And I sat down with the coaches and – yeah, I thought they were going to sack me. I thought they were going to get rid of me. They actually offered me a contract. They offered me a one-year contract to stay at oh, Carlton. Wow. But I'd made my mind up that I wanted to, to go. To retire? Well, not retire. I wanted to go somewhere else yeah, and go try and get another opportunity. And the other thing we probably haven't touched on is just the anxiety and the mental health and the mm. depression I was experiencing during my career. And 
So um, that started throughout your career? That started... you've been really open about your mental health yeah. and your mental illness struggles and all of the challenges that you faced. So that started yeah. while you were playing? It was about halfway through. So leading into the 2008 season, mm. when I played my first game, that pre-season I started experiencing just symptomatic issues with depression at the time. I never heard what depression was. Mm. I heard things like, oh, what have you got to be depressed about or things like that. So I never really attached emotion to the word depression and... Yeah, I just like getting out of bed, I'd, I'd have these anxiety attacks and I'd literally just, I'd get, I'd get angry mm. um, because I couldn't control what was going on and I'd jump in the car and I'd just drive off the training and I'd be half a kilometre from the football club and I'd be on the side of the road and I'd just be in tears. I could be bawling my eyes out and I'd just be shaking and I'd have mum on the phone and I'd be talking to her just saying, you know, what's going on? Why the fuck am I feeling like this? You know, this this isn't normal. You know, nothing's wrong. Like, well, what have I got to be sad about? Like, this is just bullshit. And then mum would do the reassuring thing and then you kind of get your breath and then you get off the training. And then I, what I used to do is I used to put like a, my, a cup of my hands – your listeners can't see this, but <laughs> like, um, like you put water in your hands, you splash it on your face. So I, I'd, I'd do that, and I'd put it over my face as like a an anchor of like like a mask. I put it on a mask before I walked into the football club. Wow! I didn't want. Um, Did you do that intentionally, or yeah, is that something not okay. intentionally? So yeah. when I got to the football club, so you were aware enough that, well, that oh, you knew that you needed something to kind yeah. of protect you, almost like an armor. Yep, exactly what, and that's a good word. It's probably mm. armor because I, I didn't want my teammates to know that I'd just been crying mm. five minutes before. So I had like, fucking, okay, harden up, get tough, mm. you know, stiffen up. Because my background of football was quite relentless in the way people viewed me. Mm. Is that the family heritage with exactly. it? Exactly, yep. But also I was a country kid and I grew up on a farm and my um, I had that, I don't know, it's like a stigma attached even to farm people, mm. that they're tough, they're hard and stuff like yep. that. And what better way for me to – to get the respect of my teammates then to – I used to box a lot, do boxing. Okay. So I used to try and punch the shit out of all my teammates to try and show how tough I was. Yeah. Um, so I had this a persona in my young career as being tough and hard and hardworking and stuff like that. So I'm like, oh, I don't want to ruin that. Like, mm. if they knew that How I was, embarrassing that I was crying. Yeah, bad. And so that just went on and on mm. and on and then I kept hiding it and hiding it and then it started manifesting in ways of, you know, partying and drinking alcohol too much and – it just neglected my career in a lot of ways. My mm. preparation was started um, dropping off. My sleep was really bad. Yeah. Um, and then I played a game at the end of my – so this is going through while I was playing AFL football. So I was on the MCG running around, but then after the games I'd be like just miserable for days. Mm. And then I'd um, – yeah, then I just had played one bad game of footy one day and I just jumped back in the car after it and I just had a complete breakdown. Wow. Yeah, and I called uh, the football club and I said to Shana Sullivan, I said, mate, I'm done. I quit. I can't do this anymore. The club knew nothing about what was going on behind the door. So like, that would have been quite a shock to them. Yeah, I think so. I think they might have seen in my performance that I wasn't performing well, but I just um, had a breakdown. I drove back straight from the ground, back home to the farm and sat around the table with my mum and dad. I remember I had my dad to the right. I had mum in front of me. And a guy named Rod Ashman, who's an ex-Carlton great. He was like a welfare person. I okay. love Ash. He's a great man. And we're sitting there. And for the first time in my life, I'm sitting there around people that I love. And I'm mm. like, fuck, I've got to now talk about what's going on. Yeah. I've just quit the one thing that I love. And, something, and they're like, what's happening? Yeah, like, what's going on? 
And what scared me the most was my dad in the room because, you know, he's still today my greatest role model. Mm. And um, I was so scared that if I say to him, hey, I've been crying, you know, I'm just really sad all the time. I, I was worried he was just going to whack me in the back of the head and say, fucking harden up, stop yeah. being soccer. That's what it was like. Get out of the house up. almost. Yeah. And he was just trying to be the best dad that he, that he was. And his dad, my grandfather, was the same. Yes. Same thing. Um, I try and justify a lot of the behaviour. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know but I mean? you do. You like yeah. you you learn from your parents, right? Like Correct. we all kind of internalise how they've grown up, and then we try and do better. Like, that's what I I try yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I'm definitely in that mould. I think as well. Yeah. Um, but I just remember thinking, you know, I just if I open up here, he's just not gonna he's not gonna like it. Mm. And to my dad's credit, he handled it very differently. He actually got his chair and sat next to me. And he put his arm around me. Oh wow! Yeah, and he just said to me, "Mate, what's what's wrong? You know, you've you've just quit football. Like, you know, we love you. We want to know what's going on." Mm. And then the floodgates just opened. Yeah. And I just started bawling my eyes out and just saying, "This is what's going on. I just don't feel myself anymore. I don't want to be here anymore." I just started talking about all these things, and you know, I'm crying. And then my mum, she's lost her shit. She's bawling her eyes oh, out. Yes. <laughs> I'm and, like on the verge. I'm like <laughs> <laughs> and my dad starts crying as well, which I, probably the first time I think I ever seen um, dad cry. And Ashley's probably thinking, what the fuck have I got myself into sitting around this table? <laughs> oh, this is not what I expected. <laughs> <laughs> but then off the back of that, it just gave me some encouragement. So I went back to the football club, uh, sat down with Dr. Ben Baresi, and that's when I was diagnosed with depression, anxiety, and gave me some medication, which at the time I was 20 years of age and – I remember just thinking, oh, great, I'll pop a pill every day and mm. I can laugh. that's Good. it. We're sweet. Yeah, yeah off we go. Off and we go. I can achieve that 100 games, no worries, and uh, my life will get back to where it was mm. and it just didn't work out that way. Mm. Yeah, I just started popping these pills and about three months in, nothing was really changing for me. I didn't realise it can take months and months for yeah. it to really take effect. And, and also you've got to find the right one. Which correct, yeah. Which can be a pro- process in itself, yeah. And not to mention also is that um, – yeah, the medication that I was um, having um, was one of the byproducts was weight gain. Ah, uh, yes. And I'm an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that's not I'm ideal like, for that me. That ain't going to work for me. And <laughs> yes. again, when I told this story to Claire, she's like, what? She couldn't believe it mm. around um, – well, we had a thing at the Carlton Footy Club called Fat Club. Oh, so we get our skin folds done every, say, two weeks. Yeah, we if, wear every three weeks. Yep. Yeah, we wear three weeks. Yep. Okay, yeah. So um, we get the calipers out and they pinch you. And if you're over a certain percent for your height and where you played, mm. you got put up on a board in front of everyone, oh, your God. name. And it's called Fat Club. Oh, and then you had to uh, do extra sessions <laughs> to get out of Fat Club. So I was like, fuck this medication. I'm not having this. I'm not – in the state I'm in right now, mm. I'm not going through the embarrassment of me – being up on the on the oh. board in front of everyone. So I just stopped using it, to be honest. I just told everyone, yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, oh, the pills are working. I'm feeling much better. And I fell back into that same Jake Edwards of that. It's fine. Don't I'm worry about fine. it. This will be fine. Yeah. These, it's a placebo. Don't worry about it. And I just got on with living again and trying to make things work. People who experience depression will jump to different things. So new career, new something or whatever it is. Um to make yourself feel better. Mm. So I thought a new football club would be that for me. That'll be uh, different. That'll yeah. make me different. Dif- That'll be, yeah. <laughs> different make me Different people, a new energy. And it was great to start off with. Noises. Um, it, yeah, it, it really ever was. So when I left Carlton, I the Western Bulldogs gave me an opportunity, which 
it's so like I said before, my great grandfather, my grandfather, my dad yeah. all played there. Our last names all over that football club. Yeah, right. So I remember walking in feeling like, oh, I'm, this is home for me at the Witten Oval. And I trained my ass off. Like I was so fit. I felt so strong. I felt like I belonged there. All the players there really loved, they valued my ability there, which I really enjoyed. And the coach, Rodney Eade, at the time, we'd spoken just before draft day and he said, yeah, we're going to pick you up with our last pick. Um, I'm like, awesome. I'm in. Let's do it. Draft day was like two days after. I remember I was sitting at a cafe in South Melbourne in Clarendon Street and my phone, I didn't even listen to the draft. My phone read rang. It was mum. And I thought, oh, she's ringing to say congrats. Um, and she's like, what, your name, what happened? Your name didn't get called out. I'm like, what do you mean you didn't get called out? And that was it. That was basically the end of my end of my career. And still to this day right now sitting here, I've never received a phone call oh. from um, footy club or anyone else involved. With oh, the, this is why process. team sports suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like uh, that. Yeah, yeah. So that was really hard um, to, to swallow. Oh, that's horrific. You know? Why yeah. would they tell you that they're going to pick you up and then – And then not do it. And then yeah. not do it. And then not even acknowledge that. And give a reason why. Yes. Yeah. Go, yeah. I, like, we're really sorry we just decided that this whatever, this yeah. group was going to be better fit for us this year. Yeah, so that was, t- that was tough. Yeah. And then I, I immediately – it's like it just flicked this switch in me. Mm. It was just like, fuck this. I hate football. So that was that was it. That was it. I never played another. Oh. I never played for an AFL club again. Yeah, after that. Wow. But I think also I was twenty one and a half at the time, nearly twenty two, and I probably, if I had my time again, I would have probably said, "Right, yeah, sort your shit out. You still got time. Mm. Like, you're still young. You're still fit. You can play football. Go play VFL for a year. Put your hand up." And I could have got redrafted again. Yeah. But I was just like, "Fuck this! Like, I'm over it." Well, like, you got is, treated pretty. Yeah. <laughs> And I was just like, I don't want to be around football ever again. Mm. And then you combine that with the thoughts of me letting down my family, oh. you know, being out of all that, and it was it was it was tough. So basically, you're forced into retirement, like, in, in a way, yeah. yeah. Forced into it, but also um, I gave up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think you're being pretty tough on yourself because you're yeah. obviously facing a lot of mental, yeah, was, illness yeah. challenges anyway and then to be treated like that like like it totally is understandable that that mm. was your reaction yeah and over the years now um yeah fast forwarding a bit when i started up the charity and then got to learn and talk to other athletes that were very similar in my position it was so common mm. yeah for my experience is is so common for many athletes afl footballers especially it's never the 100-game-plus, the 200-game legends that we hear about who get the opportunity to get the car around the MCG and wave goodbye or get the best and fairest speech to say how great their mm. career was and how grateful they are for it. It's always the 5- to 30-game players who, you know, we come back to the thing before about how the PA say, hey, go get a job, go do this, prepare yourself after football. I remember thinking, fuck that. Like, I've got a chance right now. Yeah. I'm not even guaranteed a game every week. Why would I waste time on doing something else? I need yeah. to work harder. I need to be here earlier. I need to be the last one to leave. Like, mm. there's no time for me to worry about anything else because yeah. I'm a, I'm an insurance player. Yeah, you know. So I need to change that and and get into the first ten plays at this football club. And like, I don't want to pry, but like, mm. when you're in that position in a team, are you earning enough? 
to just be a professional football player or do you Money have, wise? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you, you earn good money. So um, when I signed my first contract, so when you first get drafted, you just get given a set contract. I think yeah. – Back in two thousand and five, it was sixty five thousand, which is pretty that's good money. Oh, that's you know amazing. what I mean? Yeah, compared yeah. to many other sports. Yeah, and swimming. You guys, yeah. we got peanuts. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. I think four grand I got for oh, my there, first. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Can't even compare it. <laughs> um, so yeah, and that was um, that. You know, that suffice, which was great. My first was one hundred eighty thousand a year. So when I was mm. nineteen. I and that, that's yeah. so much money for yeah. such a young kid. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And but wh- the players why, would you go, why would you go and get a job? <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> what are you talking about? I am working. <laughs> I am working. I'm getting paid to do my sport. Yeah, I'm not paying double tax on something. Yeah. Yeah, sort of <laughs> but um, yeah, I get it now. Mm. And this is one of the gaps I've Of course I you think. do. Of course yeah, you get it I'm now. I'm older. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's one of the things I think I was really pushing really hard to the PA. I don't do it anymore. I don't much to do with it anymore. But – is that I think there's a gap missing between clinical expert and then you've got your player, mm. which we know it's there. It's like it's like the EAP programs. I'll give you a card. If you're in trouble, give them a call. You'll be fine. Yes. It's actually getting the person to actually pick it up and go and do it themselves. Exactly. Um, I think where the gap is is that they, sh- they need to create a, a mentoring program to invite play- ex-players mm. that have been through the system actually and you know give me five young players mm. And every month we catch up for a coffee or something yes. like that and yeah. just say, hey, mate, if you're going through this, this is what I did. It really helped and it saved my life. Yeah. You know, this is the pathway. Go and do it. Or I can give you a hand. I can help you make it happen. Yeah. You know, hearing it from someone who's been through the system is going to help them, I think, a lot more. Yeah. Compared to just, you know, your induction program where you get a, a pack and yeah. you know, off you go. And, like, how do you talk to a 19-year-old about retirement when they're, like, basically at the start of their career? Like, Yeah, that's right. Can't. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, my career had finished and um, yeah, I fell down a path of just real anger and just bitterness. And Do you um, feel like your mental illness got worse? Yeah, over a lot that? worse. Yeah. Yeah, a lot worse. I pushed people away. I pushed family and friends away. I just didn't want them to see how bad I was. Because, mm. um, yeah, I remember most nights I'd be in pain. I'd be crying. And the only way that it really would go away is I'd, I'd, um, I'd start drinking alcohol. So I started drinking alcohol quite heavily, mm. um, yeah, probably four or five times a week. Wow. Got to a point. Then I started using drugs. Yeah. Um, so drugs fulfilled that need that I'd lost. Because when I was drinking and doing drugs, everyone wanted to be around me. You know? Everyone yeah. wanted to go to the party. It's and fun. It was, yeah, it's fun. And Good times. I forgot about my shitty reality as it was and, you know, and I became addicted to that. It was never the use as much as it was that environment. In that re- uh, that false reality again, it's a, a identity. Yeah. you know, it's so much around that sense of self and who you want to be, and you're like, now I'm not that. Who am I? Yeah, correct. Yeah, and when when I took that football jumper off, I literally didn't know who I was mm. from an identity point of view. Um, so I was trying to find it in other ways, which are pretty shitty, pretty yeah. resourceful, and it got pretty hard. It got pretty bad. Yeah. And how did you find your way out of that? Because I know yeah. it, got, it got really dark for you, like you attempted. I did, yeah. I attempted yeah. my life, yeah. So it got to a point where I think I knew what was happening and in hindsight, but I just didn't want to face the reality of just how much my life sucked at mm. that point and how much I'd failed in my eyes at everything I touched, everything I was doing. It just wasn't working. And, yeah, I I'd, I'd literally just went out one time um, for four days straight. Wow. Yeah, drinking, drugs, um, you name the drug, it was probably in my system. 
and then come home on a Monday morning. And I, I, I'd planned this, so I knew what was going to kind of, I knew it was going to happen. I didn't know how, mm. but I kind of known that this is my last kind of crack at things. Wow. So let's just go out with a bang. Um, and yeah, so I, I attempted my life in my bathroom and I don't know how much detail you want me to go into. Oh, this, uh, whatever you're no, comfortable okay, with, cool. obviously. So I, um, I tried to hang myself in my bathroom wow. uh, with a hairdry cord off the back of the door, which was shut. And I didn't – And went, so the cord snapped. Wow. And then when I was on the floor, I um, just remember this overwhelming just regret just come over me. Wow. Of just, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. You know what I mean? And just rush of just – immediate kind of family and and my mum and dad especially just like this isn't that wasn't supposed to happen Wow, you know what i mean yeah and i remember sitting there and my phone had called at that time as my dad um no shit it was a dod on my screen i picked it up and i answered and i was obviously hysterical Mm. um and dad um kept me on the phone um and mum and dad came in from the farm and picked me up where i was yeah I had to tell him. Yeah, I had to tell him. Um, but I didn't know this that about an hour beforehand, I'd spoken to my mum on the phone. Mm. I didn't. Mum told me it's like three weeks after it. So wow. So you didn't even. You I didn't aware. remember. Yeah. <sighs> and apparently, the conversation I had, she was really mum. Women have intuition, mm. which us men, Jason, <laughs> write, write this on your little notebook down there. <laughs> men don't. Men have no intuition like female intuition. <laughs> yeah. So my mum just had a feeling and she just called me and she's like, mate, what's wrong? Is everything okay? And I just gave her the same bullshit excuse mm. that most men will give their partners, their family. Mum, I'm fine. I'll call you tomorrow. Mm. And that could have been the last <sighs> thing that I said to my mum. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's even now it's hard to kind of process and yeah. swallow. But um, you might know a lady by Maddie Clements. Mm. So Maddie. So she was my psychologist wow. during my AFL career. Amazing. She now heads up the AIS yeah. program. Yeah. Um, so the only one person I'd speak to was Maddie after that. And I went back home and spent two days. I slept for two days straight. Another thing that really tugs at my heartstrings is, is that when I got home, my mum and dad picked me up and took me back to the farm. My niece and my nephew were there. And I remember when I got out of the car, I just they come running up to me because I'm their world. Yeah, Uncle Jake's their world and I just collapsed and I just broke down and I just, yeah. So I slept for two days, woke up, went in to see Dr. Clements. Mm. So it's a long way to answer this question you asked. No. But the reason I explain it is because it wasn't necessarily the attempt that changed me, motivated me to try and change. It was th- what happened next. So I spoke to Dr. Clements in her office in Richmond and I was – still coming down I was really bad and I remember sitting across from her and she got her mobile phone out and she put it on loudspeaker mm. and it was my mum and she said to my mum look I'm with Jake uh, before we put him into a program so they put me into St John of God in Dandenong in Victoria uh, as an in and out stay and she said to my mum look we're going to send him home to the farm for a couple of days but before we do that I need to make sure that he can't get any um, access to any firearms so Jake can't come home and shoot himself. And I remember he, I heard that and then it was just silence on the phone. And then I don't know whether my mind's made this up or not, but I thought I could hear the lump in my mum's throat mm. through the loudspeaker. And I don't know what it was, but it was just this kick in the ass. Mm. that I, It was the first time that I'd 
could see and experience that what I was going through was more than just me. It was mm. I was impacting my family and the people around me. Mm. So my mum, yeah, my mum's my rock. Like she's been there for me with through everything. Like I'm sure all mums are for their kids. And yeah, I just, I just they my parents just didn't deserve what I was dishing up to them. Mm. And that was my motivator. That was enough. Motiv- it was the motivation wasn't even me. <laughs> my motivation was just my my mum. That yeah. must have been devastating to kind of see that because when, like, I know from my experiences of depression, it it's very isolating and it's very self centered. And not saying you're selfish, but you you can only you see do. your pain. Yeah, you can't see how that might be impacting other people. Yeah, that must have been really kind of. Devastating in a, in another way. It was, yeah. It was. Yeah. It crushed me. It really crushed me. And I'm like, okay, that's it. Now I need to do this. If it's not for you, it's for people around me. And that was enough for me to make change for that period, yeah, in, in my life. So in this conversation, we just kept chatting about lots of different things, and we've decided. Jason and I have decided that we are going to split it over two parts. So I really hope you enjoyed that first part. And make sure you tune in on Wednesday uh, for part two of my conversation with AFL player Jake Edwards. As always, if any of these conversations bring up something for you, uh, trigger you in any sort of way, Make sure you reach out and speak to somebody, particularly the people at Lifeline are are waiting for your call on 13 11 14.